Today's colloquia pioneer is Dr. Debbie Hansen. Dr. Hansen earned both her MLIS and PhD degrees from the University of California, her MLIS from UCLA, and her doctorate in history from the University of California at Irvine, where she specialized in 19th century American social and women's history. Dr. Hansen teaches two of the school's core courses, Library 200, Information and Society, and Library 285, History Research Methods, as well as courses in history of books and libraries and oral history. Dr. Hansen's research lies at the intersection of history and library science, focusing on the professionalization and feminization of librarianship in the West. Her published scholarship appears in such influential journals as Libraries and Culture and Library Trends, among other LIS and history periodicals. Her most recent publication, A Pioneering and Independent Spirit, the History of San Jose State University's School of Library and Information Science, appeared in 2010 and chronicles how SLIS evolved from a small school library training program established in 1928 into the largest MLIS degree in the world. Today's talk, A Pioneering and Independent Spirit, the Founding of San Jose State School of Library and Information Science, will highlight today's uh, the school's innovative experimental programming stretching back to the school's founding. So on behalf of the rest of the faculty, it is with great pleasure that I welcome back to the colloquial podium once again, Dr. Debbie Hansen. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you today about the early history of San Jose State School of Library and Information Science. As Anthony mentioned in his nice introduction, last year I finished a book on Sliss's history, which I called A Pioneering and Independent Spirit. The title comes from a talk given by Thomas McQuarrie, who was president of San Jose State in the 1920s and 1930s. In this speech, which Macquarie gave in 1930, he talked about how San Jose State had a unique approach to education which paid, and I'm quoting from his speech here, little or no attention to the customs and traditions of any college. It was true back then, and in terms of the School of Library and Information Science, I think it's still true today. So when Anthony asked me to talk a little bit about Sliss's history, I thought, well, maybe it'd be interesting to talk a little bit about the background of our school's origins and how it got started in the 1920s and 1930s. And what really impressed me about those early years was just how scrappy San Jose State was in getting a library training program established and how creative the faculty was in developing a special niche for themselves in library science education. The character that Sliss developed early on sustained it over the years, and I think can be credited for what we are today, the largest MLIS program in the world. So let me talk a bit about the founding of SLIS and what I mean by the title of the book, A Pioneering and Independent Spirit. San Jose's library science program started in the fall of 1928 as a training program for school librarians. Just to give you a little background, until the 1920s, San Jose State was what was then called a teacher's college, and its sole purpose was to prepare people to teach in California schools. Being a teacher's college, San Jose State offered only education classes, and its graduates earned a teaching credential, not a bachelor's degree. So if you wanted to major in something other than education, you went to UC Berkeley or to a private college such as Stanford. 
However, in the mid-1920s, the state of California passed several new education laws that allowed San Jose State to start offering additional majors so that students could earn a bachelor's degree. The new laws also expanded the course requirements for teacher training programs and established, for the very first time, a number of new teaching credentials. Among these new credentials was a special credential in librarianship, which was approved by the state in 1928. Now, according to California state law, any individual working in a school library had to have specialized training in library science in addition to holding a teaching credential this new state law would have profound effect on school libraries and the teachers that manage them. Before that time, California state law required that school districts fund some sort of library for the local schools, but there was no set method or standard as to what type of library school a, a, a school might, uh, what type of library a school might have. In some districts, each school created its own library and had teachers managing the books. Most often, though, school districts co contracted with the county library to create what were called classroom libraries as part of the county library branch system. In other words, a school library was run, run by the county library as one of its branches. Some city libraries also worked with local schools, developing collections and outreach services for classroom teachers. The advantage of having the county library or the local public library handle the local school library was that a professional librarian was responsible for selecting the school's books and managing its library services. The disadvantage was obvious. There wasn't a librarian on site full time. Another problem was that public librarians weren't trained teachers. So they maybe knew something about children's books, but they didn't know about school books and they really didn't know anything about a school's curriculum. So during the 1920s, county and city libraries started to close their school library branches, leaving it to local schools to manage the libraries themselves. Some school districts expected that each teacher would set up his or her own classroom library, putting pressure on teachers to learn about school books and how to manage them. Other districts appointed several teachers to devote one or two periods a day to managing a separate school library and assisting other teachers with the books in their classes. A few schools hired a teacher to work as a full-time manager of curricular materials, but this last option was very rare. So the revised education code of 1928, which I mentioned a, a few minutes ago, changed all this. As I said, the new law mandated that any teacher working in a school library for more than two periods a day must possess both a teaching credential and a special credential in school librarianship. This meant that schools had to scramble to find qualified teacher librarians to work in their school library. And of course, this was San Jose State's opportunity to start up its library training program. Now, it's clear from the archival record that San Jose State knew that this change in school library management was coming about before it became law in 1928. In fact, in 1927, a year before the law was even enacted, San Jose State's library director, Joyce Backus, sent a memorandum to President McCory suggesting that the college library start teaching classes to train school librarians. 
She also raised the possibility that they give, and I'm, I'm quoting from her memo to McQuarrie, some thought toward educating young women for positions in county and municipal libraries. As an aside, in the 1920s, it was assumed that librarians would be young women. In fact, San Jose State's library school didn't have a male student until well after World War II as a result of the GI Bill. In fact, I, I had one of my student assistants, I, I said, go through every college yearbook and find the first male student in library science. And she finally found one in like 1956. And she said, I found him. She said, unfortunately, his name's Ronald McDonald. And I said, oh, no, you know, not Ronald McDonald is our first male student. But, um, but she, it, it took that long, 1956. Um, it was also assumed that librarians would be white. And San Jose State wouldn't have a non-white student until 1945, when an African-American woman named Versa Pittman enrolled in the program. There were several Japanese-American women in the program in the early 1950s, but really for decades, San Jose State's library school students fit the librarian stereotype perfectly. They were unmarried, young, and middle-aged white women. But going back to the founding of the school, apparently uh, President McCory approved of Joyce Backus's idea about starting a library training program. For on January 11, 1928, she sent a letter to Sarah Bogle, the executive secretary of ALA's Board of Education for Librarianship, informing her that San Jose State was making plans to establish a training program for schools uh, for teachers who wanted to work in a school library. Sarah Bogle's first response was to write a letter to Milton Ferguson, who was the California State Librarian at the time. And she wrote, we have just received a letter from Miss Joyce Backus, Bogle, Bogle wrote, stating that the State Board of Education has just granted to this college the power to grant an A-B degree with a major in library science. And actually, that wasn't true. Uh, Joyce was sort of stretching the truth a little bit, but that's, that's, a, that's another story. Uh, but, but Bogle continued in her letter to um, Ferguson, we shall greatly appreciate any information which you can give us in regard to the State Teachers College and its standing in the state and shall be glad to know your opinion as to the quality of the work in library science which would be offered there. Uh, Ferguson wrote back right away and um, said that Joyce Backus had already contacted him and that, um, that, that in fact he had suggested that uh, Backus contact ALA to learn more about accredita accreditation standards. Um, Ferguson reassured the ALA executive that San Jose, and I'm quoting, had a very good reputation and was well positioned in the state to meet the growing need for trained school librarians. Apparently satisfied, Sarah Bogle sent Joyce Backus a copy of the latest ALA accreditation standards, as well as some information about courses for teachers wanting to work in school libraries. Sarah Bogle also paid a visit to San Jose in January 1930 to see how the new library science program was coming along. While there, she met with President McCory, California State Superintendent of Education, Veerling Kersey, and several other key faculty members. Although the meetings went well, there was an unfortunate incident that caused strain in Bogle's relationship with San Jose State. What happened was that the San Jose Mercury ran a story about Bogle's visit to San Jose and reported that ALA was quite impressed with the college's new library science program. 
the, the proper training, and somehow when I think of Sarah Bogle, and, and when you look at her picture, maybe you'll, you'll see what I mean, I always think of Julia Child. So, so hear this in Julia Child's voice, but the proper training in the course is an important one, uh, the Mercury quote of Bogle is saying, and the methods used in San Jose will not only be copied by other schools in California, but throughout the United States. Um, unfortunately, Bogle had never spoken to this reporter, and she became quite huffy over the whole thing. Um, she sent a telegram to the Mercury's editor insisting that her praise for San Jose State's library school be retracted. She also contacted President Macquarie about what she called the false interview that was reported in the Mercury, commenting, I felt sure you'd want to correct the matter. Uh, according to Joyce Backus, Macquarie didn't bother. Now, unfortunately for San Jose State, um, the relationship between McCory and Bogle remained, t remained tense thereafter. In fact, McCory refused to allow San Jose State to apply for ALA accreditation as long as he remained president of the college. His attitude was that San Jose State was responsible to the California Department of Education only, and that an out-of-state professional association like ALA had no authority over the school's curriculum. So as a result, San Jose State's library science program could not formally seek ALA accreditation until Macquarie had retired, which didn't happen until 1952. Think about it. Macquarie became president in the mid-1920s, and he was president of the university until 1952. Um, and by that time, ALA wasn't accrediting programs for school librarians, and San Jose State persisted uh, for uh, you know, several decades in just training school librarians, and then uh, allowing people who had, uh, you know, that wanted to work in public libraries use their school library training to get a job in a public library. But essentially, we were a school library training program, and ALA didn't accredit programs that only trained school librarians. So San Jose State didn't even try to get accreditation until the late 1960s. So, you know, it gives you an idea of how long this unaccredited state persisted. Um, behind the scenes, though, and very unofficially, the library school's faculty worked with ALA executives so that the new library science program would meet to the best of their abilities ALA's accreditation standards, even though the program remained unaccredited. Uh, and to her credit, Sarah Bogle and her assistant Anita Hostetter were very helpful in guiding San Jose's library program in developing its curriculum. So what did the original courses look like? Well, really not that much different from what we're teaching today. The original curriculum covered current library science practice and included classes in cataloging, reference, library history, school library administration. Several courses were taught outside the library department, such as uh, lettering and book craft in the art department and children's literature in the education department. Students were also required to take a two-quarter internship that was called library practice. Uh, in the 1920s and 1930s, Students could specialize in one of two tracks. The first track was designed to educate individuals already possessing a bachelor's degree who sought a one-year postgraduate certificate to qualify them to work with children in public libraries. San Jose awarded a certificate 
rather than an MA because state colleges weren't allowed to award master's degrees until the 1950s. If you wanted an MA, you would have to go to Berkeley, and Berkeley did have its library school. It, its library school is started up in 1920, so, so, um, so you went to Berkeley if you wanted a, a master of library science. The second track was for teacher librarians who took undergraduate library science courses as part of their teacher training program. Essentially, uh, these students were majoring in education and minoring in librarianship. And most students in the program were in this teacher librarian track. One of the interesting characteristics of this early curriculum was how it was constantly changing. Uh, and again, not unlike our curriculum today. In the 1930s, Many new classes were added dealing with school library administration and book selection. At one point, there were probably eight to ten different courses that dealt with book selection in a particular topic. I mean, the focus was books and book selection. In the 1940s, San Jose added courses dealing with public libraries, while the focus of the 1950s was the development of new classes in educational technology. And one of my favorite classes that, um, and innovations that they had in the 1950s was San Jose's use of closed circuit TV. And the university built a tele television link uh, between the campus and um, several nearby high schools. And so library science students could watch the live going on in live goings on in a school library as part of their their, their classroom experience, and it's sort of like reality based uh, library science education. And I can't even imagine, you know, what they were watching as they sat in their class and spied on these um, these, these these kids in the high school libraries. Another important feature of San Jose's early library science program was its interest in non-traditional scheduling and distance education. During its first year of operation, the library school offered summer school classes for, and I'm quoting from the, the summer school bulletin, experienced teachers, librarians, and others interested in school or children's library work. Admission requirement to the summer program was purposely relaxed to encourage individuals already working in libraries or teaching full-time to attend classes in the summer. The idea was that these students could earn a library degree by going to school in summer only. And since they were already employed full-time as teachers or as librarians, they would return to their regular jobs once the summer courses were completed. And these summers-only students could earn their library degree over the course of four or five summers. For many years, the summer school program was the library department's most successful undertaking, attracting students from all over California and other states as well. For example, 12 students enrolled in the regular library science program during its first year of operation, which was 1928-1929. By contrast, the summer school program taught in 1929 had 32 students enrolled. The summer school pro program was also a really good money maker. During the regular semester, students paid $3 for their, their classes, while summer school courses cost $15 apiece. Yet despite the cost and how long it would take students to earn their degree just taking classes in the summer, the summer school program was incredibly popular because it allowed people who are working full time to pursue professional education, an opportunity not avail available to them elsewhere. As a result, 
San Jose's summer program expanded every year, even during the Depression. Building on this tradition of non-traditional scheduling, San Jose's library school started offering evening classes in 1953 so students could go to school part-time at night. Also in the mid-1950s, San Jose began, began teaching library science classes in other locations, in Pleasant Hill, Monterey, Fresno, even as far away as Bakersfield. So distance education is nothing new for, for San Jose State. Another huge benefit of San Jose State's summer school program was its ability to bring in eminent librarians and educators to teach courses. Since the focus of San Jose's curriculum was school libraries and work with children in public libraries, the most notable summer school instructors were children's authors and children's librarians. Some of the more famous included Wilhelmina Harper, who was a prolific uh, children's author in the 1930s and 1940s, and she taught for SLIS during its very first summer school session in 1929. Um, Flora Bell Ludington, and I'm sure you're thinking Wilhelmina, Flora Bell, you know, but we're talking librarians, 1930s, so that, that, that's our population group. Uh, Flora Bell Ludington taught summer school for SLIS in the early 1930s. At the time, she was a librarian at Mills College, and in 1938-1939, she chaired the um, ALA Code of Ethics Committee, which established the first ethics codes. Uh, ethic code for um, librarians. She also was president of ALA in the 1950s and was very well known for her uh, support of intellectual freedom during the McCarthy era. Probably our most famous instructor was Doris Gates. Um, and she, again, was a well-known author of children's books in the 1940s and 1950s. Gates won the Newbery Award for Blue Willow in 1940, which was when she was teaching for San Jose State. I haven't really said much about SLIS's regular faculty or its students, so you'll just have to take my word for it that they're an interesting group, and some became quite eminent in their field. Our, probably our most illustrious graduate uh, was Ethel Crockett, who was California State Librarian from 1972 to 1980. But San Jose State's library science program was never really about fame and prestige. Over the years, its primary goal was to democratize and expand professional education so that people, regardless of their social and economic status, would have a chance to become professional librarians. SLIS's willingness to experiment with non-traditional scheduling and diverse settings, as well as its interest in using the latest technologies, allowed the school to survive and prosper even during hard financial times such as we're experiencing today. That's why I found President McQuarrie's description of San Jose State's pioneering and independent spirit such an apt title for the book, for it truly captured the character of our library science program and explained how and why we've been a success over the last 80 years. <laughs>